Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your great love towards us. And we thank you, Lord, that you commended your love towards us. Because, Lord, we are unworthy people to be loved by you. But, Lord, you have chosen to love us. And you love each and every one of us. And you demonstrate that, O oh God, upon Calvary. That you truly do love us. For as you said on Calvary, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And oftentimes in life, Lord, we do not know what we're doing. We do not know the dangers of our sin. We do not understand how sin hurts your heart and brings pain to you. But, oh God, we pray that, Lord, you would do as Jesus directed. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Because, Lord, oftentimes we do not know what we're doing. But, Father, we pray that as we look into your word, that we might be reminded that he died for us and he arose for us. And that Jesus Christ and him alone is Savior of humanity. No man can be saved outside of Jesus Christ. No one can come unto you unless they come through Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, that death, burial, and resurrection has its meaning and its purpose. And may we discover a little bit more of it today. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The resurrection is one of those things that we don't talk a lot about, but it's there in Scripture and you see it just about everywhere. As Elaine and I was sharing the this morning, because we wake up early and then we do our little talking around 5 o'clock, 5.30, we're talking and, and just laying there and talking. We said, you know, it don't feel like Easter. It don't feel like Easter. You, we don't see all the Easter celebration. We, we, we walk into the stores. It's not about Easter. I mean, even as Elaine said, she went to look for some small uh, dresses and, and was, just couldn't find any that would be appealing is all this as she called it nightclub stuff for these little girls and as one mother said that's why my daughter's going to go over and get a pair of slacks and a shirt and that's what's going to be her easter as we continue to just move along especially as we continue to go into this end times which we'll pick back up next week we are losing a reverence for god and our society is moving and we're being pushed more and more to accept a society without God. The resurrection for the Christian is everything. It is the central theme of our salvation. It holds everything. It means everything. And we have nothing without it. The life of Jesus, the death, his resurrection, has always been in question. Jesus' very life was in question. It is this constant questioning whether or not if Jesus himself was really who he claimed to be. That was question. Are you truly the Son of God? 
Are you truly the Christ? Are you truly the anointed one? Are you truly that one? And that became more and more of a question down through the ages with people, and yet we fight it constantly, whether or not it is true. And even in our culture today, in our society today, we're still questioning. Is Jesus Christ really the Son of God? Is Jesus Christ truly God? Is Jesus Christ living today? Is he really living? Is he alive? His life has always been in question. It will always remain in question. His death, his burial, his resurrection will always be questioned. But for you and I, at some point we have to stop questioning and we have to come to the conclusion that it was all true. It's all real. If it's going to have an impact on our lives. I want you to understand something. For those who are nominal Christians, and those are, who are Christians only by name, but not by action, and not by living it, but they just confess to be a Christian, but they don't live being a Christian, Part of the problem that we have with people really living out the Christian life is coming to a true understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now understand that in Corinthians it says that is the gospel. But the word that is left out before death is the word life. You can never have death without first having what? Life. The moment you hear that somebody died, guess what's the next thing that comes out of somebody's mouth? I just saw them. I just spoke with them. I was just with them. And what we're affirming is this, that they really lived. They were a living being. And we don't talk about their death, we talk about their what? their life. And until people really understand the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, they really don't become concerned or are they empowered or are they compelled to live a Christian life. They have head knowledge but not heart knowledge. They have the head knowledge but they have not the power that goes with the knowledge in order that they might live it the way God intended. Well, you got it turned up at the right time. And the whole process is that we have to come to that place whereby we fully surrender to the Lord. Go to Matthew 27 and pick up with me in verse 38 through 43. Matthew 27. Get to verse 38. It says, and this is why he's on the cross. Because people struggle with this. 
But what you're going to see is the naysayers there at the cross. You're going to see the people who were doubting. You are going to see the people who were questioning. And, and maybe you're among them. Maybe you're questioning if Jesus Christ, when he hung on that cross, if he was really God. Maybe you're questioning, was he really the son of God? Because God didn't act. God was silent. God was still, in a sense. But what we don't understand is this. The greatest work of God was taking place on that cross. Is taking place on that cross. So in verse 38 he said, Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, there's a question. In the same way the chief priest and the teacher of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. There's their condition. There's man's condition being placed upon God. I'll believe you if you do this, this or that. God doesn't jump at our whims. God lays it out. It's up for you and I to accept it and believe it. And oftentimes we hear it over and over and over here in America. We hear it on TV. We hear it on radio. We're constantly hearing it. We hear it and the scripture says, they have ears but they what? They hear not. They have eyes but they what? They see not. At least they would hear and see and do what? Believe. Because you're hearing doesn't mean that you're really hearing. And because you're seeing doesn't mean you're really seeing what you think you're seeing. And he says, in 43, he said, he trusts in God. Now here comes God's action. Okay, if he's really the son of God and he trusts in God, then let God rescue him. Let God act. Let God take him off that cross. If he's really the son of God. Man's reasoning. Because see, if you were seeing your child being hurt in such a manner, what would you do? How would you respond? And they said, if he's really now the son of God, let God rescue him. Let God do it. Now, if he wants him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Later on over in Luke, you also find that one of the robbers says that we are justly here because of our sins. And the one asked the Lord to remember him. And Christ said to him, This day you'll be in paradise with me. This day. But the accusations went forth. The questions went forth. Is he really the Son of God? Is he really the Son of God? Go over to Mark 16 and verse 9. Mark 16 and verse 9. Because there we continue to see that 
there was questions that were going on. It says, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not what? Are they questioning? Though Jesus had already told them what would have to happen to him. And on the third day he would what? And even for Mary herself, going to the tomb, there was a question. Is it really true? Will it really happen? Because she's going to the tomb expecting what? A dead body. Not that he would be risen, but a dead body. And it says, they didn't believe. They didn't believe. How many of us are in here today and we don't believe? We don't believe. And deep down in, you know you don't really believe. You have the head knowledge. You have the right answers to the questions. But see, it's not having the head knowledge or the right answers to the question. It's the living it. It's the living it. If you're not living it, you have the head knowledge, but not the heart. Not the heart. And what Jesus is after is the heart. Is the heart, not the knowledge, but the heart. And oftentimes we're so interested in everything else, we miss it. We miss it. And it says, they did not believe. And watch the lives of people and it will tell you if they really believe and trust. Because one of the issues about believing is the ability to trust God to provide all that you have need of. They knew what they lost. For they had seen him do miracles. They had seen him... Feed. They seen him heal the leopards. They knew what they had lost, but they did not know what they have gained. And that's where a lot of people miss it. We know what we've lost. But when you begin to walk with Jesus, you really don't know what you're going to gain. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. We know what we've lost because we've experienced something with him. He really lived with us. We ate with Him. We slept with Him. We dwelt with Him. We saw Him healed. We saw Him do this and do that. We heard His teaching. We know what we lost. But what they didn't know is what they gained. His life is always... In that area of question. Go to Luke 24 with me. Luke chapter 24. 
become. Why look for the living among the dead? And remember where he was at? Boy, they're, they're kind of looking for him. It says, when we pick up in verse 5, it says, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Where are they are? They're at the tomb. They're looking for him. They're at the grave site. They're looking for him. And the angels are speaking to him. And his angel simply says to him, Why are you looking for the living among who? The dead. God frames that as something very important that we have to grab hold of. That Jesus Christ really is living. He's living right now. He's a I am present God right now. Right now. He's living. And what you and I have to be convinced of and totally persuaded of, that God is right here with me to help me. To minister to me. Wednesday night, we was in prayer meeting. And my brother knew that we was in prayer meeting. But he called. And I shared with those that were there, I need to answer this one. Because he had had his body scanned and he was waiting for his report. And he said, Gus, all the tumors are decreasing. They're all getting smaller. And a week ago he just told me, he said, I want you to do my eulogy at my funeral. For a while there, as he was preparing for the other... God is doing something else. He, he is right here. He wants to touch you. He wants to heal you. He wants to guide you. He wants to order your steps. Why? He's a living God. He's not dead. He's very much alive. And He wants to do something in your life that only He can do. And He wouldn't be able to do it if He was dead. But he's alive. And he said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And he said, he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. Now listen to this. Then they remembered his words. After going to the gravesite, after going through all this, hearing the angel, then all of a sudden, they remember. Isn't it strange sometimes? It's after we have done the wrong thing, then all of a sudden, we what? Why can't we remember God's word up front rather than after we have done it? After we've done it, the word seemed like it just screams into us. Why can't we call that up front? Let me give you a little suggestion. It was there, but you didn't want to hear it. It was there, but you didn't want to hear it. But now you're in a position, you'll hear anything from him. 
you'll hear anything from him. And they heard. And they remembered. Because they didn't have him. And what the angel is trying to reassure them is this. You still have him. He's alive. You still have him. You still have the healings. You still have the feedings. You still have the teaching. Everything he demonstrated for you while he was living, he's still doing because he's alive. He's still doing. His importance in this resurrection. How do we see this in the importance? And how does God value it? God values this resurrection so much that he puts it in part of your confession. That if you don't make this part of your confession, you cannot be saved. If you don't really believe it, you can't be saved. Why? It is the power of God that is demonstrated. It is only God the Father who can raise Him from the dead. It is the power of God. And it is a reminder to you and I what God is doing in our own life. He is raising us from the dead and bringing us to life. He's moving us. That's why Scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creature. He's not the same. And if this seed be in you, you can't continue to do this thing you want to do. It has to change. Go to Romans 10 with me. Look at what the Scripture says here in this confession that has to take place. And then let's see if we can put it together and kind of walk through it. Because oftentimes we say it so quickly that we really lose it. We lose it. We don't put it together. That what our mouth is saying, what our heart is believing. And then what we're going to look at a little bit after that is the action that it takes. The action that it takes. He says there in that verse 9, he says, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord. Now catch this. And believe in your heart that God raised him from what? He says you have to confess that. You have to confess it and really be- In other words, you have to convince yourself. Because somebody can't be Lord of your life unless they're really what? How many of you would call President Obama President of the United States if he was dead? Would he be the President of the United States in present tense if he was dead? We can talk about what he was. But we cannot talk about him in the present tense that he's my President at this very moment. But see, I can say that about Jesus Christ. He's my Lord at this what? Very moment. Right now. He's my Lord. He's my healer. He's my provider. He's my supplier. He's all that I have need of. When? Right now. Right now. And he says, now you've got to confess that. In other words, you're trying to convince yourself that Jesus Christ is really alive and he's not dead. Because we respond differently to those who are living than those that are dead. 
it's strange sometimes the way we speak. And we hear people speak, you know, if my mama was alive or my dad was alive, this wouldn't happen or this here wouldn't be allowed or this here wouldn't be there, you know. But then what we're doing is looking at the way we are behaving differently than if they were where? Presently right here. And God wants us to be convinced that Jesus is alive because if we really believe he is alive and he is present right now, it will dictate to our behavior and how we respond. And he says you have to believe that God's raised him from the dead. He's alive. He's alive. you got to believe that. Satan would have you to believe a lie. That he's not alive. He's not seen. He's not watching. He's not guiding. He's not there. But he is. But he is. He says that if you confess with your mouth. Why do I need to confess that Lord? I just believe it Lord. Why do I need to confess it? Because that which we speak. Really is what we believe. One of the reasons we believe a lie is because we talk about it. (laughs) We speak it out. And then once we speak it out, we even try to live it out. Because we are speaking it. And he says, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now look what follows, and you will be saved. You will be saved. It's not a question if you'll be saved. It says you will be saved. And then he goes on and he's going to turn it just a little bit now for us. In verse 10 he says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Catch what he's saying here. It is in your heart that you believe. Not in the mind so much. Not in your intellect. But now into the heart. Into the center things of life. It's in the heart. You're really believing. And because you are believing, you are now, what? Saved. And then it says, you are confessing. Understand something. The scripture says, let the redeemer of the Lord do what? When you know you are saved, you talk about it. When you know you have a Savior, you talk about Him. When you know you have a Lord, you talk about Him. When you know that He's alive and He's with you, He's energizing you, He's moving, He's opening doors for you, He's feeding you, He's paying the gas bill, He's doing this and He's doing that, taking you on the highways and the byways, lying you get up in the morning, return home at night. And you can say, he kept me. He kept me. A lot of Christians in Kenya went to school not knowing 
they were not going to go home that night. A lot of people got on an airplane thinking they were going one place, not knowing they were going to see the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We take off doing one thing, really not knowing where our true destination is going to be. But you and I ought to be ready because absent from the body, we should know without a shadow of a doubt that it is present with the Lord. And he says, boy, you're believing in your heart. He says, for it is with your heart that you believe and then you are justified, set right in God's sight. And when you've been set right in God's sight, and it is with your mouth that you confess now what God's doing in your life. What God is developing in your life. How God has saved you from your sins. How God has released you from the penalty of those sins. How God is building a life in you. And you begin to confess it. Why? Because now you're saved, you know you're saved, and you're sharing with people what God is doing in your life. You're sharing with them. You're speaking about it. You're telling others about it. You're confessing. Confessing means to speak. To speak the truth. And you're sharing it with others. And you're doing it. You're doing it. Jesus was a real human being. There's no doubt about it that he was truly man. For he is called the Son of Man in Mark 10.45. But he's also called the Son of God in Mark 1.1. He is man, but yet he is also God. Now, this thing called the Gospel, let's go to Mark 1.1. It is telling us about the complete life of Jesus Christ. For it simply says in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel, and look what it's about, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That when you use the word gospel, what you're talking about at that point is about the total life of Jesus Christ. The life he lived, what he taught, how he lived, and then his death, then his burial, then his resurrection. You're including it all. And it also includes this. He's coming again. He's coming again. Uh, and, and why can we say he's coming again? Because he's not dead. He's not dead. And he said, if you hold this true in your own heart, that Christ is coming, the scripture said, it purifies you. It cleanses you. It washes you. It does something in you. If you really believe, He's coming again. And the only way you can believe that he's coming again, if you believe that he was brought forth from the tomb, that he's not dead, but he is alive. The whole process, it is the power of God that we have to also be willing to experience. Go with me to uh, Romans Chapter 1, once you look at 3 and 4 with me, we want to tie it with 1 Corinthians 15, 3. But <clears throat> go to Romans chapter 1, verse 3. Because the resurrection 
demonstrates the real ultimate power of God. It's something that Satan cannot even begin to imagine. That's why we see in Revelation that with the Antichrist, when he is struck with a blow, he tries to attempt a resurrection. But it says he was wounded with a wound like unto death, not that he died. Not that he died. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ died. And God brought him back. He says in that verse 3, Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. So he wanted us to really know, he really what? He really existed. He was a real man in body form. For he was a descendant of David. And then he goes on and he says, And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with what? Power. To be the son of God. How did God demonstrate that power? It was not about, oftentimes we'll hear this, the evidence of Jesus Christ being the Son of God was that He healed. The evidence of Jesus Christ being the Son of God is that He fed the 5,000, the miracles that He worked. No, that's not the real evidence of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. Because God knows Satan could duplicate every one of them. But in one person's hand and one person's hand only, as Job says, life and death is in the hands of God. Life and death is in the hands of God. And Therefore, he says, by the power to be the Son of God, by His resurrection from the dead, God demonstrates His power. His power through this resurrection of the dead. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Go to verse 3 with me. He says, For what I received I pass on to you, as of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to twelve, and after that He appeared to more than five hundred of the brethren of the same time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. And then to all the apostles. And least of all, he appeared to me also. And today we're hearing more and more of Jesus Christ appearing to who? People who are of the faith of the Muslim faith. That he is appearing to them. We're hearing that more and more, more and more by missionary, that Jesus Christ is appearing. He re- he's revealing himself. He's showing himself. He's doing it. He's not dead. He's alive. He's not dead. 
He's alive. Now, catch this for a moment. It is the power of God that raised up Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks about us being dead in our sins and our trespasses. But he quickens us to life. It is the power of God that works in us to change us. Now, the difference of practicing being good, and a lot of people do this. We practice being good, and when we practice being good, that's something we do. For Paul said, there are none that is good. No, not what? Not even one. And Paul said, every time I desire to do good, what's right there? Evil's right there. But understand this. It is the power of God that gives you the strength to turn from that which is evil to that which is good. That is the difference of between people who are trying to be Christians and people who are truly born again and are Christians. Because God empowers, God infuses, God does it. And Paul says, it's no longer I, but it's Him. No longer I, but Him that does and works. Now put life and death and his resurrection into your confession. That when you really believe it, what will it cause you to do? Oftentimes we are people who believe part of something, but not all of it. And what God wants to bring us to is where we believe it all. We don't believe in part of it. How many of you drive down the street in a part of a car? It don't happen. How many of you would like to live in part of a house? You want the whole thing, don't you? Why would you think God would be any difference? He don't want part of you. He wants all of you. He wants all of you, not part of you, all of you. And he demands that of us. Go to 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14. Where am I? Where am I? Uh-oh, I missed that one up. Let me see here. Is it first? First Corinthians. Oh. No. I, I put Corinthians and I don't know where it's at.
since 15. Stay with me for a moment. Yes, go to First uh, Corinthians 15. And, uh, and go to verse 13 with me. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13. He says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Do you catch that? If there really is no resurrection, all that we are believing is a hoax. All that we're believing is nothing but a lie if there's no resurrection. And the whole thing is that we have a belief and we're trusting. And we're believing that God really is raised from the dead as God said that he is. And every time we do a counteract of God's command, we're saying, in a sense, God has not raised Christ from the dead. Because if he can't do that for Christ who trusted him, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done? At that moment, in a sense, Christ wanted to run away from his responsibility. That responsibility that he accepted before the foundations of this world was ever laid. But yet, what he is facing at this moment is terror, is frightened in this human body. And I gotta go through this suffering. I gotta go through this cross. I gotta go through this beating. Not my will, but your will be done. And you're looking at what you may have to go through. And you're saying, Lord, And then you follow through with your will. Because you have not come to a point to say, not my will, but your will be done. And you're trusting God to carry you through. You're trusting God at that moment to take you through the next step and the next step. Where you cannot see it for yourself. Because you're walking in darkness, you're walking in blindness, you're walking by faith, and you're believing and you're trusting Him, no matter what happens, that He's going to keep you. And even if death takes place, He will raise you up from the grave. Not my will, but your will. Is that surrendering, knowing that He's alive? Is that surrendering, knowing that He's able? It's the surrendering, knowing that you can trust him. And he simply says, again, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is fruitful. What happens if there is no resurrection? No resurrection of the dead. People are still in the grave then. Life ends right there at the grave. There's nothing else to look forward to. That when you go to the funeral, that's it, right there. Once we put you in that grave, that's it. That's it. And why do we spend all that money trying to preserve you and you're not even... 
that he says, boy, is fruitful. In verse 14 he says, our preaching is useless. Our preaching has no avail, no validity. Our preaching is empty and has no power. If Christ be not raised from the dead, why are you here this morning? We are seeing church being framed in a different way today. We're seeing church being advertised as more entertainment than more teaching of the gospel. We're hearing the church is becoming more of a social thing, whether it be of gays, lesbians, or this group or that group, than anything else. The church has one basic center goal, and that is to lift up Jesus and his teaching. It is to educate the people of God. It is to encourage the people of God. It is to edify the people of God that they might live out the life that God has planned. And he says, boy, the preaching then is all in vain. The teaching is all in vain. And then he goes on and he says, if Christ be not raised, we are all false witnesses. What did he just call us? He says, we're all liars in verse 15. We're just a bunch of liars. And if you ever witnessed about Jesus Christ trying to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ, then you just told them a great big, as the kids would say, a great big whopper. If Christ be not raised, we're deceiving people. We're lying to people. We're being false witnesses. If Christ be not raised... We are still in our sin. We are still there. If Christ be not raised, those who have died and believed in Christ died believing a lie. If Christ be not raised, in verse 19, the world should show pity on us. For believing such a lie. For allowing ourselves to be so deceived. So tricked. The real evidence. Of God being alive. And Jesus Christ. His son and the Holy Spirit. The real evidence of that is the proof of your own life of what God is doing and has done in it. That every time as you step out trusting the word, what God does, what you pray through and live through in honoring God, that becomes the evidence of your God. Isaiah says in this man, if you honor God, God will do what? Honor you. If you lift him up, the evidence is he'll lift you up. 
If you will humble yourself under his mighty hand, he says in due season, he'll lift you up. He'll provide. He'll meet every need. That becomes the real evidence that you know nobody else has done this for me but a living God. God has worked. God has done it. God has met my need. It's not that somebody persuaded you to believe so much as it is that God begins to reveal himself in a very personal way in your life. And that's not happening to you. Then I would go back and check my salvation. Why? Because again, the scripture says, if any man is in Christ, boy, he's a new creature. Now listen to this part. The old things are doing what? And what's happening? New things are developing in your life. And you can't see the new things taking place in your life. If you can't see things happening different in your life, if you can't see God providing in your life, if you can't see God changing your mind and your thinking, then something's wrong. Closing out with verse 20 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15. And look at verse 20 with me. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made what? Alive. But he gives us the assurance After going through the negative from verse 12 on down through verse 18, 19, when he gets to 20, he says, but! And whenever you see that but in Scripture, take special sight of it. Because what follows is so important. But! Although all this has happened, but! If all all these things came, but! If this here, but! But! Understand, look what follows after the but. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit. He is alive. No matter what you think, he's alive. And if you don't know him, you need to get to know him. If you never accepted him, today is the day of salvation. And all that God expects for you to do is to confess with your mouth exactly what we read in Romans 10, 9 and 10. You have to act. God offers, but how do you respond? God says, I sent my son to save you. Will you receive him? Will you receive him? Father, we thank you for all that Jesus is to us. And Lord, all we need to do is believe in our hearts and confess that you have raised him from the dead. 
Lord, we thank you and praise you. That, Lord, you didn't say, well, we had